0: What are the positive things that we want to bring about or what are the positive behaviors or what is it that we're aspiring to create as Mm -hmm. opposed to what are the things we're trying to protect ourselves against? And I suppose there's maybe more of an emphasis on like, how can we help each other to follow this agreement rather than have this veiled threat of there's going to be consequences
1: On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking about the often neglected differences between things like needs and wants and expectations and boundaries and rules and agreements and other terms that are often used somewhat interchangeably. And specifically today we're going to be looking at the kind of mental and emotional impact That those different words can have and how they can affect our thinking and our communication rather than getting caught up in just how do you define one or another or one is good and another's bad. Instead, we're looking at more qualitatively how do these words affect us? How can we use them more effectively? What are some places where we might consider switching which terms we use when we're thinking about or speaking about what we want in our relationships and what we don't want in our relationships?
0: So a lot of these ideas that we're going to cover today, we've talked about in other episodes, but usually in a more focused context. So, you know, we had an episode that was all about rules versus agreements, feet boundaries, or we're talking about (laughs) boundaries versus values, or talking about specifically standards, things like that. But when trying to tease apart the way that these terms themselves affect our communication, it became clear that it's really less about pinning down a particular definition for a term. It's more about understanding how using different terms and different definitions can change not only how we communicate, but also how we actually think.
1: So to start off, we're just going to cover some science just because it's fun, just because just because we love it. And this is, you know, there there hasn't been research on the psychological effects of using the word boundary versus rule or, or whatever it is, but there for a long time has been a field of research on how language affects cognition, right? How do the words we use and the words that we know affect how we think? And this is a field that's continually changing and there's lots of interesting reading on the subject, but we're just going to kind of lightly go over some stuff here. So in the early 1900s is when we kind of got the the real birth of this field, and we got what is now known as the saper Whorf hypothesis, also oh, known that as linguistic, one. yeah, also known <laughs> as linguistic relativity. And this has mostly been yeah, has fallen out of favor in more recent times, but basically the strong version of the hypothesis that they developed. Um, was this is like first half of the 20th century like so like 1920s or something like that and basically they believed that language directly determines thought so if we have words for things we can think about those things and if we don't we can't and so this is where we get things like you this still floats around sometimes but there's this thing of like oh there's this particular tribe that doesn't have a word for time and they don't have any tenses in their language so like they don't experience time like the rest of us do. This is not true and, and actually a pretty racist thing to think. But, and that's the Hopi tribe for those who are wondering. But basically, yeah, they, they don't have a, a direct translation for, for like the concept of time or the word time. And they don't have tense in their language. Just everything's as if it were the present tense, but it's not just the present tense. It's all tenses. Um, And there are other languages with variations on this, like Japanese has a past tense, but no future tense. There's just sort of a present slash future. You know, other languages have have similar, we have one tense or another or fewer or more than others. But the idea that the person then can't experience or conceptualize that thing because they don't have a word has just been shown to not be true. Basically, the simplest version of the argument is, well, if we couldn't conceptualize the thing, how would we have come up with the word in the first place? So it's Mm, just kind of, it it doesn't make sense, but that has sort of given way over time to kind of a modified, softer version of that hypothesis and the way language affects us.
2: Basically, people think that language does affect how we think, but it doesn't put hard limits on what we think or directly cause us to think a certain thing. There's a growing body of research showing empirical evidence for that connection between language and our thought processes, though it's challenging to isolate because it's really hard to differentiate what comes from language and what comes from other cultural factors. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that we in our culture do and think things very differently than somebody in Japanese culture, for instance. Yeah, which is a very different type of culture than what we have and we've talked a lot about that like in different ways of relating to one another and you know it some people tend to be very effusive whereas here we're all also about like personal identity and independence and that's less of a thing in other other areas of the world for instance
1: so So how much is language how much is culture where do they intersect which caused which it's hard to tease that apart yeah
2: And on a more psychological level, studies have shown that the words we use externally and in our own thoughts do have an impact on our emotions and our mental health. That makes a lot of sense considering if I tell myself like, oh, you're a bad person or you did this thing poorly or whatever. Like, yeah, those words can impact how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about people in the world around us. We're not aware of any scientific evidence that our words or our thoughts affect the external world. And we're talking about things like manifestations and the secret stuff like that. And we want to be clear that manifestations are very different from affirmations. We've talked a lot about affirmations on the show, but manifestations are different. So there is plenty of evidence showing that this kind of thinking actually makes us less happy and less successful And the the words that we use to talk to each other and ourselves do have an impact overall.
0: So we can understand this phenomenon actually pretty intuitively. So for instance, if you think about the fact that the sensations behind feeling excited are very, very similar to the sensations behind feeling nervous. Yes. Yeah. This is something that blew my freaking mind a couple of years ago in a meditation class where, you know, the teacher was intentionally guiding us through bringing up different imagery to produce different emotional states and be curious about what that felt like in our bodies. And seriously, mind blown. I was like, oh my God, it's the same freaking thing. (laughs) Like it's the (laughs) same stuff. The same stuff is moving or activating or whatever in my body. It really is just about this particular label that I put on it in my mind. So again, you know, excited and nervous on a physiological level very similar effects but very different feelings in our minds and similarly we can look at you know referring to a setback that you run into in your day-to-day life as a challenge instead of referring to it as an insurmountable problem may affect the way that you approach it um there is also the classic aphorism of oh never say never because that's referring to how absolute language like always and never in reality is really true and it can cause us to make assumptions or to give up on something. This is starting to get into the basis of some of CBT, of cognitive behavioral therapy where we're looking at cognitive distortions and often it does come down to some of the language that we use and the labels that we attach to things that happen in our day-to-day life.
1: I think this topic is is super fascinating just how language affects things and then of course, you know there's this whole modality of therapy that's kind of grown around a lot of these concepts, but that's not the, the main topic that we're here to talk about. But I did want to cover a little bit of this research and look at how, you know, their words are not literal magic and that they don't manifest things in the external world, but they are very powerful. And there is a, a pretty large body of research continuing to look into how, you know, how our wording and how our choice of language affects us on this psychological and emotional level. So now let's get to the main event. So (laughs) that is that we want to look at some of these terms that are commonly used when we're talking about what we do and don't want in our relationships and in our lives. And by relationships, you know, we mean any kind of relationship, also friendships and work relationships and, and everything like that. So something to keep in mind with this is that we don't want to police people's language. We're not saying like, oh, if you use this word, it's bad and this one's good. And if you use this, it has to mean this thing and and this one has to mean this other thing. Like that's not the point of this. You know we will talk a little bit about the distinctions between them, but it's more about let's look at what matters the most when you use a certain word. Where does it change the emphasis of what we're talking about? Where does it maybe change who we think is responsible? when we use a different word for what we do or don't want, stuff like that. So as an example of the words that we'll be covering today is things like needs, wants, desires, expectations, standards, boundaries, rules, and agreements. And the concepts we're going to talk about will carry over into other terms, you know, like deal breakers or red flags or yellow flags, or kind of whatever other terms you want to use. But we're kind of focusing on this core group, uh, at least what I've sort of identified as this core group of terms that are used. And then you'll kind of, I think you'll start to see as we go that they're related to other concepts and terms that come up a lot. And for this, we're going to break them up into a few different groupings, but really a lot of these can, can get, Exchange with each other. And we'll kind of talk about their relationships as we go.
2: So let's start off with needs versus wants and desires. So this word need is really interesting because I think it gets down to like the brass tacks of what is it that you need that you have to have in everyday life. I guess also that that is a differentiation between a want. Like a need is more intrinsic it's like you need to have food to survive for instance you need to have water to survive ideally you have a place you know a roof over your head or somewhere safe to be at night things along those lines but when you're talking in the context of relationships that's really interesting when we get into that like what is a need In a relationship, what do you actually need in order to be
1: healthy and survive that relationship? Well, I think that's interesting that you use the word survive there. Again, talking about definitions, because when you think about a need. Well, it's like basic, like super basic care. right? And like sort of the consequence of not getting a need such as, you know, air or water or food is that you die. And so it kind of sets the stakes very high when you talk about something as a need. And now we don't always use it that way, right? Like people will go up to, you know, a, a restaurant and say, you know, I need a, a Big Mac with fries or something. They'll say, I need. Mm-hmm. And I know for me as a kid, I was taught that's very rude to, oh, to add a restaurant this. order yeah. by saying I need something instead of I would like or I want. And it I don't know... I agree. Okay, good. <laughs> Emily faxed me up there. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I hear people do it, I'm always like, ooh, ah, it's so ooh. rude. And I'm sure most people don't even notice. And it, But I do think it's interesting to look at Why are we using that word instead of another one? And how does it change how our request is received?
0: Well, okay. So here's the thing, though, is that clearly when we're thinking about being in relationship, the stakes are not necessarily always as high as life and death. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not like those base level needs of if I don't have food, I'm going to die. But, but. That doesn't mean that we're saying that means that you can't need anything in relationship necessarily. But I guess it's like a different standard that we're holding it to, right? It's like a different standard of happiness or feeling safe or feeling secure. You know, like these are things that I actually do need in order to feel like I can be in this relationship at all.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's interesting is because need, it's like I need it in order for something, right? Like we talked about those fundamental needs. It's like I need these in order to live. But yeah. It's like, I need this for what? And I think yeah. maybe we don't always think about that second part of the question is, is I need this to be in this relationship at all? Is that I need this to feel comfortable right now? Is it that I need this to, to be happy? You know, it's, it's just, again, to look at like the emotional impact of it, to talk about a need and, the, and needs are so hot. In relationships, right? <laughs> so, yeah. hot to talk about right my now. needs, my needs aren't being met. Oh, yeah, or, my needs you know, aren't
2: being met. Geez, good yeah. point. Right? Yeah, and it's like, just, what is it's that. Just,
1: right. Well, it's worth taking a moment to think about it of like, what are we saying by that? Right. What do we mean when we're talking about our needs? Like, need for what? And then also, why are we using need instead of a want? And that's kind of what we're exploring in this section.
2: I need to make sure that I trust my partner and that they trust me. I need to make sure that my relationship is full of care and love. Or, you know, I need to, it could be anything.
0: Well, it all falls on the spectrum, right? Because I I think what we're going to start teasing is the fact that sometimes by calling something a need, it can be really helpful and clarifying for yourself, right? And this almost starts to get into boundary stuff that we'll talk mm-hmm, about later. Mm-hmm. It can be helpful to know like, yeah, these are my needs in relationship. These are the bare minimum. This is the standard by which I I, I just, you know, want to be in relationship or what I want to get out of my relationships.
2: autonomy. Yeah, yeah but in, also in yeah. on
0: kind of the, the shadowy side of that is that we can apply the word need in such a way that we can fall into manipulation or ultimatums, you know, like, I need you to let me see your phone so I can go through your text messages.
1: That would absolutely be the way that people would phrase something like that sometimes, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's and, true. and And I think it's also interesting, too, because then it's like if you do these things that I say that I need, it's almost like, well, now you've hit the bare minimum. Right? Because a need, I kind of think of, has this connotation of like, this is the minimum. If I don't get this, I can't whatever. Can't be in a relationship, can't be happy, can't feel safe, something like that. And and maybe that's true, but it's also kind of, it's when we express something that we want, even something we want very much, but express it as a need, we're almost kind of taking away some of the enjoyment we might get from getting that thing we want. Because it's like, no, this is just base level. This is just need.
0: So that's a really good segue to talk more specifically about the term wants or desires. Talk about those at the same time because there's a lot of overlap there. I think when you step forward to say, I want this or I desire this, it requires kind of taking ownership of it, right? And believing that you, maybe believing that you deserve them or believing that it's okay to ask for them you know? And so I think to use that previous example, if you were like, I actually would really want you to hand over your phone so that I can look through your text message, that feels like more honest to me Mm. and more vulnerable, (laughs) right? If you're just like honest about like, yeah, I'm super curious. I would love for that to happen.
1: (laughs) I mean, I do want to be clear that that doesn't make it necessarily a healthy behavior. No, no, no. But it does change the feeling a bit for sure.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it feels less intrinsic to like who you are as a person. Like I need something or I, yeah, I need something because fundamentally if I don't get it, it will alter something about my state of being and who I am. I Hmm, want things because I want them because it would be nice to have. And the differentiation there I think is pretty specific and I agree with you, Dedeker, that that gets more into like vulnerabilities of you know my my desire, my want is this, and that may feel vulnerable and may feel like you know it, are are you a person who's going to potentially fulfill that and how lovely that might be, but also it gives you the opportunity to say no, whereas a need it would feel like maybe you can't. Like, you have to find someone or you have to be around people that fulfill those needs because if you don't, then you're not meeting a base level of what you just des- or what you
1: must have in a relationship. It's making me think too about kind of this spectrum of confidence in being able to ask for what you want. Oh boy. And right. No, and that's, and again, spectrum I do want to.
2: Confidence. I love it. Right.
1: I want to clarify with all of this, it's not like oh, saying want is good, saying need is bad. Not at all. It's just, let's look at this. Let's explore why yeah. we might be. And so on this spectrum, I'm just thinking if if you kind of have internalized this belief of, well, I don't really deserve to get the things that I want, maybe you'll express everything as a want. It's like, well, you know, maybe it'd be nice if we could do this. Like I'd, I'd kind of like that, you know, that that'd be nice. And then it's like, eh, no, it's like, okay, that's, that's fine. Right. That's kind of low on that spectrum. And then as you move up it, maybe it's like, okay, no, I want to be more declarative about this. Like, no, I need this. Yeah, Like that, that's maybe a way to try to claim a little bit more of that. No, I, I do deserve this. I need this. But then if you keep going up that, that <laughs> spectrum, then maybe you could go back into this. This is what I want. Also, I expect to get that, <laughs> you know, I want this. And if I'm going to be in a relationship, I should be getting things that I want. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like very it's like that word is sort of looped back around to have a different feeling. No, mm-hmm. oh, you're right. Emily, you... you just did some jazz hands. What was that about?
2: Yeah. No, no. I just was thinking, yeah, that it, it is potentially cyclical. And I think that people conflate the two and that it is that question of like, let's per- potentially differentiate those two and ask ourselves because they may be very different things like a want a need and that fundamental level of like what it is that you need to function in a healthy relationship may be very different than your wants and i get it i get like ideally you have all of it that sounds great but you may not get all of it and as we've talked about before you know, what what do you need in a relationship to function healthily versus what would you like to happen in a relationship? But if it didn't, would you still want to be with that person?
1: Right. I mean, and that's just think like culturally, how much. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not sure that I'm happy in this relationship because I'm not really getting the, the stuff that I want out of it. My like people might go, OK, or they might go, mm, are you just like expecting too much or whatever? Versus. Mm, sure. I don't know if I feel good about this relationship. I am just my needs aren't being met. I think people might question that less. I don't know if that's true. I'm sure it depends on... Even though the two may be conflated. Right. And I, I could see why people want to go to needs because I don't have to feel as guilty about saying I have a need.
2: Yeah.
1: At least that's sort of the connotation that it gives for me. It's like I don't have to feel as guilty versus if I'm complaining about not getting something I want, people are like, well, you don't always get what you want, you know, tough it out. And that's But if you try sometimes, <laughs> uh-huh, you get what you need, right? It's right there in the <laughs> right, song. It's, there it is. It's reinforcing Think, this. In
2: the dulcet tones of Mick Jagger. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: I feel like is is there maybe a little bit of a gender dynamic in some of this? Because like when you said that phrase, Jace, of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting what I want out of this relationship. It felt like something where I feel like women would be a lot more uncomfortable saying that. Because I mean, mm, I don't know. I feel like women right in there, general too. are so yeah. socialized to feel like they're wanting too much at every single turn and to constantly yeah. like shrink and shrink and shrink and shave down what your desires are until it feels like you've reached this like bare minimum of just like, oh, these are just the things that I need. And once we start getting into wants, that starts to get a little bit touchy, but th- that's just my perspective.
1: It's interesting though if we keep playing this this game and go down that road, also looking at words that are used in a gendered way, women are more often referred to as being needy as a complaint. Mm ironically, because maybe they feel like that's the only thing they're allowed to ask for is something they say is a need. I don't know. It's just, just again, playing with the words is not based on any sort of thought prior to just thinking that through.
0: That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So I guess kind of the thing to take away from this before we start moving on to some of the other terms is just, again, just asking yourself some questions about why you might use one word or another and not to go to other people and say, you can't say that's a need, that's a want, right? It's like, you're not going to get very far in the world just trying to police other people's language like that, but it can be a really helpful thing to be aware of for yourself and just sort of bring some extra thoughtfulness to the way you approach those things and maybe explore if you don't feel like you deserve to get what you want in a relationship, maybe explore that a little bit, you know, potentially with a coach or a therapist or something. So we're now going to go on to talking about boundaries, expectations, standards, rules, and agreements. But first, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors for this show, some ways that you can support this show to help keep it coming to everyone out there for free. So if you can take a moment to check those out, and if any seem interesting to you, go use our promo codes. That'll really help us a lot
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamAndEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also
0: That's Multi, M-U-L-T-I at AdamandEve.com, AdamMail.com, or Eve'sToys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I.
1: Now we're going to look at boundaries versus expectations or, or standards. And again, expectations and standards here kind of using interchangeably, although maybe they're a little bit different, but again, just kind of discussing how those words affect how we think about these things. So starting off with boundaries, boundaries, much Ugh. like needs, so hot, so hot. Everyone hot wants to talk days. about boundaries. Yes. And I think that in itself is worth, <laughs> we're taking a moment to take that in because there's a couple parts of it. One is they're hot because everyone goes, boundaries equal good. So therefore I should use them. At the same time, they're hot. So they may be overused. And so also a lot of people react on the opposite side of, ugh, if I hear the word boundary one more freaking time, I'm so fed up because they've been used so shittily against me or, or you know, I've seen uh-huh. them used badly in other places. So it's like, it's very loaded, I think, on either side because they've been so hot now for so long. That's just my impression, at least, looking around it the reactions I see to people talking about boundaries, either being super positive or very negative.
0: Well, there's so much that I think has been like crammed into that term, right? Both meaning wise and functionally, it's, it's like this term shows up and conceptually people are like, oh, this is like such a validation for me being able to say no to pursue the things that I want to not have to date people to not have to put up with bad behavior or to like protect myself or for things to be good right so like conceptually it's like oh wow what a great concept and then on top of it there's it also kind of gets crammed in along with sometimes yeah standards or expectations which we're going to talk about a little bit and also crammed into it sometimes again the dark side of I can be as big of a jerk to you as I want to be in this name of boundaries. If I just drop yeah. in that word, that means it's OK. This is my boundary. It's my boundary that you don't leave your socks on the floor. You know, it's, it's almost like it's metastasized into something that's a little bit bigger than it is. And is getting tossed around in that way. I see so many
2: definitions of boundaries on the Internet saying that it's essentially a, you know, fence around which people don't cross it it's like here is my boundary this is the place at which if you cross it there's going to be a consequence and clearly we don't take that stance that's not something that we agree with well, but it is really interesting
0: but it's also not 100% wrong it's a little bit of a yeah. hard thing to pin down it's but it's like I could I could get on board it's with putting the it whole on-
2: them as opposed to you well
0: i don't know i could i could get on board with the whole fence thing personally or the like stock image of a woman drawing a chalk circle around her which is this is you know yeah like i could get on board with that except for the fact that we take that image and then suddenly it's about no 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 like you need to respect my fence or or you broke my fence (laughs) or you (laughs) my fence like the the ways that people use it it starts to disintegrate the image I think well, I'm just... all about, I'm going to construct this fence for myself. And this helps me know where to move and where not to move. And it helps let other people know where I can it's an move invisible or don't fence. move. You're I... wearing a shock collar and it <laughs> buzzes when you go outside of the fence. That's the thing. I think it's, it's like such a large concept that's gotten so many other things stuck to it, mm-hmm. like barnacles, that it starts to fall apart a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, and so just to step back for a moment for our listeners who might just be tuning into this, when we talk about boundaries, one of the distinctions that we like to make is that boundaries are something that can be 100% unilaterally sort of enforced and protected by yourself. So a boundary is not like, you know, if you don't pick your socks up off the floor, You've crossed my boundary and now I'm going to punish you for it, which is why I think the fence metaphor is not great. Because if someone crosses your fence, it's like, what do you do? You move out of your house? Like (laughs) that, you know, you can't really unilaterally, you know, protect yourself or remove yourself in that situation. So I don't know if the fence metaphor perfectly works for the way that we like to talk about boundaries. And part of the reason we want to talk about it that way is because we want to find some way to differentiate it from other things like rules or agreements or, or expectations. And so I think this, this does get us to another part where some word might have a very different actual definition to other people or might just have a very different connotation. So it's, it is worth exploring that too.
0: Yeah. And I think, okay, again, if we zoom out just to look at the word, I think the way that it's been used often these days is it automatically implies some rigidity. I think it Mm -hmm. automatically can stop Mm -hmm. a conversation. And this isn't to say that if you do have a firm boundary, that means you should be loosey goosey about it or you shouldn't defend it. But it is the kind of thing where sometimes I think it is used as a pass for just like stopping a conversation and just like, no, you can't question
1: this whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's good. I mean, sometimes it's like, yes, this is rigid and there is no room for discussion. And that's that is the point. And so like, sometimes that can be serving you, but sometimes if we default to trying to make everything a boundary, when really maybe a want could be a more accurate way to talk about it, especially if we can internalize that we do deserve to get what we want, you know, maybe that could, could actually be more effective, but it it just depends. And I, I, what I see is that when we sort of carelessly go, ah, boundary must be good. I'll try to make everything a boundary. We then kind of end up sort of eating away at what makes boundaries really useful and helpful. Because, I mean, we love boundaries. I know we're kind of talking about a lot of the problems with them here, but they are really great. They're a really important thing to have. But we can often get to using them too broadly and in too many situations and get too focused on that. At least that's, that's my impression of it. But again, that's based on my experience with the word and how I interpret the word and the connotations and what I've seen people do with it. Right.
0: So let's bring in the similar concept of expectations or standards. You know, so we're talking about things that are standards of behavior that you are expecting from somebody else, maybe from yourself as well. But there's a little bit more of an outward focus here, I think. And this is what boundaries tends to get wrapped up in as well. Like, So I think if you have an expectation and someone doesn't meet it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad or they're hurtful or that they violated your boundaries. It's just they didn't meet your expectations, right? Mm -hmm. So for instance, it could be, hey, I expect that you'll be on time for when we meet up at six o'clock tonight. They didn't meet that expectation, like they showed up late or whatever, and that's hurtful and that's disappointing and maybe you'll have a conversation with them, but that's not like they violated your boundary. Maybe your boundary is like, I'm not going to maintain a friendship with someone who is constantly late, or I'm not going to be the one to pick the time or whatever your boundary may be. And I I don't know, it just starts to get tricky the way that people think about these things.
2: These expectations and standards, in my opinion, sometimes are internalized so much that they're not healthily communicated or communicated at all for that matter. Hmm. And that I think can be pretty challenging because... Again, so many of us are socialized, especially if you're socialized and have, you know, monogamous relationships, that your standards of behavior are going to be the same as someone else's. And that your expectations for how people act and how you should act and how, you know, the world at large should act are all blanket across the board the same. And that's simply not the case. So I think, especially, with boundaries or expectations and standards things really need to be talked out and really need to be discussed because so often they're just not.
0: Honestly and I think this starts to get to the heart of what we were talking about with the needs versus wants thing Yeah, that for some reason in the current zeitgeist you know using the word boundary puts a level of acceptability on something that maybe is just an expectation that we have or a standard just something that we want from someone in relationship you know it could be i yeah. want monogamy or i expect a clean house or i, have I want to st-
2: get married for instance yeah, but then you know if you and- don't get that does that mean that you're gonna leave or does it mean
0: right yeah, yeah and- it
2: doesn't mean like it's a it's an ultimatum type thing or a or a a deal breaker rather.
0: Yeah, and I think that, again, it's like the weird feeling that we have attached to these different terms that if I say I expect X, Y, and Z, that's maybe a little bit more vulnerable. Maybe that opens me up to more judgment and criticism because that is me taking a step forward and saying, I think that I deserve these things or I think Mm -hmm, that it's okay mm -hmm. for me to expect these things versus I have this boundary of X, Y, Z that that's maybe a little bit harder for people to question, at least right now.
1: Yeah, When looking at the word expectations, at least for me, this is one that I feel like I would be less likely to express something that I expected in my relationship as, hey, partner, I have an expectation of this sort of behavior for me. That's sure. sa- like that to me, to me feels weird. And maybe it wouldn't to someone mm. else. Whereas, you know, I really want you to be on time for our dates. <laughs> you know, that's that's something that means a lot to me. That's important to me would be more likely how I would express it. But I think in terms of thinking internally, or maybe talking about it with your friends or your therapist or something, expectations, an interesting one, because it's, it's for those things that do have a little wiggle room. So like, I think Dedeker, your example of being on time is really interesting. So if it's like, Hey, you know, it upsets me when my partner shows up late to a date. Right. And I think that's pretty normal for a lot of people to be upset if someone's late to show up to something with you. You know, it feels bad. But we also get that it happens sometimes. Some people just have a harder time managing time than others. And some people just maybe are less thoughtful than others or just stuff happens, right? Trains break down, cars break down, meetings run long, right? It happens. LA traffic. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Any number of things. So So to go back to that and think, okay, I don't like it when a partner shows up late for a date if I frame this as a boundary of a boundary of, I won't be in a relationship or I won't go on dates with someone who shows up late by their nature, at least in the way that we talk about them, boundaries are rigid and that's part of their power as they protect you. They're like that last line of defense. And so if that's your boundary, your partner shows up late to a date once, boom, you're gone. No more dates with that person (laughs) versus an expectation of, I expect my partner to show up on time for a date. If it doesn't happen, I am disappointed. If it perpetually doesn't happen, I might say, oh, you know what? This is not meeting my expectations. I'm going to stop dating this person. But it has that wiggle room, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and like intentionally, because it's for something where I'm not, it's not like I'm at risk of being like very seriously emotionally hurt by this. I mean, you know, it's sure it hurts. It sucks. But at least for me, it's not to that level. And maybe for you it is. And then it is a boundary, like literally once it happens and I'm gone. But, but just kind of being aware of how these two terms carry a very different weight and rigidity and might be more or less appropriate in certain situations.
2: Now, finally, let's move on to rules versus agreements. And I think these two things are done and said pretty interchangeably. So let's first start with rules. Rules are really interesting in non-monogamous spaces. And I think also in people just opening up for the first time. And I hear a lot of, you know, media stuff of like, well, if you're going to get in a threesome or a triad or something, then you first need to establish ground rules, yeah, ground rules, something I like that. that. Yeah. Ground rules I hear so often.
0: But it's also a weird recursive thing because like so many of these other terms, now I think the non-monogamous community has picked up on, ooh, the term rules equals is bad. bad yeah. and so just call it literally anything else call it an expectation a standard a boundary an agreement a, a contract like call it literally anything else but a rule
1: yeah <laughs> well it's interesting too because we mentioned this when we were talking about you know standards like standards for your own behavior you could just as well express that with oh i, I have a personal rule for how i behave in this situation and yeah sure well, you know, people use the term that way, too. So again, these are not about like, this can only be one thing or another, but more just being aware of what terms we're using.
2: hmm. That's true. Rules, to me, tend to feel quite rigid and as though they have a consequence if they're broken. Mm-hmm. And so it's up to people to figure out what that consequence is, I guess, and I know that we've talked a lot about rules on this show and how if you do have a rule and then you break it, it means potentially, it can mean like a variety of things for everybody involved, not just the two people that like maybe have that rule, especially in non-monogamy.
1: I think also something worth noting about rules is that they tend to be focused on a limitation. Yeah, I was going to say, right. like, it's like mm-hmm.
0: they're kind of subtractive, I suppose.
1: Yeah, that okay, a term? that's a cool word. Subtractive. For sure, yeah. well, for sure. Well, okay, I'm
0: thinking about the rules that you grew up in elementary school where it's like no talking, no passing
1: notes, yeah. no,
0: I don't know what it is, like where it's usually a list of like, no, 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 like usually yeah, mm-hmm. restrictive, restriction based.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that always has to be the case. It's just, you know, it could be. You know, as a rule, when this happens, I do this, just as a way to kind of express the fact that this happens with a lot of regularity and that, you know, pretty strictly, consistently always happens. But again, it's kind of like a colloquial saying. But I guess, yeah, the emphasis is on rigid and the emphasis is on, you know, limiting a certain behavior, usually.
2: Well, and that limiting, I think so many people, when they feel limited by something, it makes them want to do something more. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. There is that side of it too. Yeah. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. I know. Yeah. When we're, you know, we have that desire as humans, especially I think when we're young to be like, no, I'm not, I'm going to do something different than what's allowed or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to break free of that punk rock. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So
1: often, so often I'll see a sign that's like, do not under any circumstances do such and such. And I'm like, honestly, I never would have considered wanting to do that thing. But now, <laughs> now I it's all do. I can think about.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. now I'm going to do it. Exactly. What about agreements?
0: Well, so, I mean, I guess with agreements, we have an image of two people, two or more people who are coming together to establish some mutual expectations for behavior. I guess I tend to think of it as a little bit more additive. I, I guess the feeling that it brings up my mind is two people, two or more people being like, let's try to do xyz or let's give each other the benefit of the doubt or let's be compassionate or let's i get very much a let us sort of feeling mm. but that's yeah, just sort of me a together the,
1: feeling yeah
0: yeah it, this is another one where again i think especially in the non-monogamous community it can be slapped on literally whatever it is that you that you, <laughs> you want you, you be, want yeah with the feeling that like oh its agreement that means it's softer that means it's better but but i suppose you know for me it seems to focus on what are the positive things that we want to bring about or what are the positive behaviors or what is it that we're aspiring to create as mm-hmm. opposed to what are the things we're trying to protect ourselves against and i suppose there's maybe more of an emphasis on like how can we help each other to follow this agreement Rather than have this veiled threat of there's going to be consequences if we fail. But then I hear people say the word or the phrase the he broke my agreement all the time yeah. as mm. well, which yeah. I get why people say that. But I, I mean, the one I literally hear like at least once a day at my freaking job is... He broke th- my agreement and had unprotected sex with so-and-so, you know, like that's that's the one that hmm. that often comes to the table.
1: And I think that touches on something that is important about this. And I think that so often these discussions get caught up in, well, by definition, is that actually a rule or a boundary or a, or a whatever else? Or is it an agreement? Or like, oh, if you call it this, it's better than calling it this other thing. And I think that's kind of what I wanted us to really intentionally move away from in this episode is instead to just sort of talk about how does it change the way we think about these things? Because that's a great example of, you could probably phrase that using all of these terms, right? It's like, I need my partner to use protection with everyone else. And if they don't do that, they haven't met my need. Or I want my partner, this is very important to me, but I want my partner to use protection with everyone else. Or I have a boundary that I won't be with someone if they use protection with someone else. Or maybe I have a boundary, I wanna have sex with someone who has unprotected sex with someone else. You could phrase it as a boundary, or it could be just, I have an expectation, my partner uses protection with everyone, or something like that, I just expect that. And if they don't meet that, maybe I'll reconsider this relationship. Or it could be a rule, I have a rule that you have to do this in order to have sex with me. Or this is an agreement that we had, right? You could use any of those terms for just as strict or not strict of a thing in terms of how you would react to it. But I do think that some might carry more accurate nuance in terms of communicating the level of seriousness you have about Hmm. that and who you think is responsible for, you know, kind of executing the consequences of that.
2: It seems like regardless of whatever word you use, you need to get on the same page with your partner about what it is that that word means to each of you. and That's a great point, yeah. Yeah, how you're going to utilize that word and that thing in your relationship or even if you are going to. Because certainly many people may not have rules, but if they do, then you got to figure out what that means and what that's going to look like.
0: Yeah, and I guess... Yeah, it is important to have those conversations because again for me thinking about agreements I think about them as there's an option to renegotiate the agreement mm-hmm. at some point potentially. I mean, I think it like like it's different from like I'm signing a contract and if I try it like there's no renegotiating the contract. There's only mm. like breaking the contract Right. or <laughs> or not. But the idea that I could say, okay, yeah, we made this particular agreement and maybe I don't know if I can agree to it anymore or I actually want to change it or things like that where there can be that conversation, but maybe there can't be that conversation if I'm bumping up against somebody's boundary, right? Mm. Like I right. can't be like, I need to renegotiate your boundary with you necessarily like maybe I can make a request of like oh hey actually be great if I could do this thing that that maybe makes you feel like you need to put up a boundary or something like that like I can make that request but I can't quite renegotiate in a mutual way the way that I think you might with an agreement and I guess again like like it can be I'm so sorry because it can be so boring to get into semantics I think ultimately (laughs) the takeaway is like what Emily said of when you agree to something with a partner or your partner expresses a boundary or you decide it's a rule or you set up an expectation or standard or whatever, like actually take the time to listen and figure out what does this mean? What is the whole ecosystem and context of what this means?
1: Mm -hmm. And I think conscious word choice is important too. Cause if you do establish those, then you can be more conscious about it. And when you say this is a boundary, it could, communicate very clearly to your partner or your friends, this is an absolutely non-negotiable thing. This is a last line of defense. I don't expect we will actually bump up against this. If we do, we're already having problems. You know, you could kind of, if you establish that that's what that means, that's clear, and then we can focus on let's focus on what we want and what we want to agree with and what our expectations are. So that boundary just acts as that last line of defense. But just kind of getting clear on that. Or maybe for you, it's like, you know what? We like talking about things as rules. That actually just feels comfortable to us because it feels more firm. Cool, well, what does that mean? Is that something we can renegotiate, right? These these words do change a little bit depending on how you decide to use them. I guess that's also part of the point of this is that you know people who try to go to a dictionary to justify their usage of a word or argue against someone else's kind of have the cause and effect backwards a little bit. You know, dictionaries define how we actually use words as humans, not, you know, the dictionary wasn't written first and then we started using those words. It actually goes the other way around. So I think that's worth worth thinking. And and Emily's point is great about have those conversations and allow yourself to be intentional and ask questions about why you're using which ones and maybe another one would serve you better, help you develop more confidence or more compassionate communication or just getting to focus more on how excited you are to get the things you want instead of just, am I getting my bare minimum met? Our question of the week for this week on our Instagram story is, how do you differentiate between a need and a want? I'm very interested to hear how people approach that one, especially if they answer it without having listened to the episode yet. (laughs) Uh, So definitely we'll be looking for your answers to that. If you want to discuss this further, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel on our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Bavanera. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.